When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is a hopeful day, but as I've seen many other pro-life advocates point out, this is not the end. They are not going to do this to America. There is more of us than there is of them. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It's very much every one of our worst fears realized. The issues of gay marriage, of contraceptives, are all built off of this idea Bloomberg sound on with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg radio Washington is rocked by the leak welcome to the fastest hour in politics the story on a looming decision on Roe v Wade has already evolved in its first 24 hours we'll have the latest for you with reactions from the White House and Capitol Hill and new reporting from Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. We'll consider what this means for the midterms with Harvard pollster John Della Volpe joining us later from the Milken Conference and the panel today. They're back. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis back together for the hour. Democratic leaders in Washington are vowing a legislative answer to what looks like an impending Supreme Court decision invalidating Roe versus Wade. Now, we've been talking about this since just before we went to bed last night. A lot of people woke up to it this morning. Reactions have come from every quarter. We're going to cover this for you here before we seek a bit of analysis and better understand what's going on and what might happen. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer spoke this morning from the Senate floor. Here he is. Now that the court is poised to strike down Roe, it is my intention for the Senate to hold a vote on legislation to codify the right to an abortion in law. In line with a White House statement today, President Biden writing, we will need more pro-choice senators and a pro-choice majority in the House to adopt legislation that codifies Roe, which I will work to pass and sign into law. He spoke more from the tarmac at Joint Base Andrews. It was a little bit noisy. He's outdoors on his way to Alabama earlier today, saying the president here saying this could have much wider implications. Here he is. It basically says all the decisions related to your private life, who you marry, whether or not you decide to conceive a child or not, whether or not you can have an abortion, a range of other decisions, whether or not how you raise your child, 
What does this do? Uh, and does this mean that in Florida they can decide they're going to pass a law saying that same-sex marriage is not permissible? It's against the law in Florida? Uh, so there's a whole, it's, it's a fundamental shift in American jurisprudence. We heard from Mitch McConnell as well, of course, the Senate minority leader from the Republican side, not talking about the contents of the leak, but the leak itself. Here he is. This lawless action should be investigated and punished to the fullest extent possible. The fullest extent possible. I'm certain the Chief Justice will seek to get to the bottom of this. If a crime was committed, the Department of Justice must pursue it completely. And we should note that Chief Justice Roberts says he's already directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation into the source of the leak. I do wonder if we will ever find out. It is a relatively small circle here of folks who could have done this, who had access to the document. 98 pages, the PDF sitting right there for the world to see now. And that is where we begin with Greg Storr, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter, the best there is. And lucky to have him today. Greg, the, the court has authenticated this document. It's expected to issue a ruling by July. Do we have any reason to believe that any justice here, any conservative justice or any for that matter, would change their vote on such a serious matter? It's not like they just started thinking about it. Well, if there hadn't been a leak, uh, certainly there's a possibility that a justice could change his or her mind. That happens all the time. And keep in mind, this this document's actually a couple months old. It was dated February the 10th. It was a first draft. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's even possible that somebody has had you know, already had misgivings about what, what they've read here. Um, and then the next question is, well, now that it's leaked out, does that make it more or less likely that somebody might shift positions? And, yeah. uh, you know, there's a pretty good argument that this might kind of lock people into, into position where they were because wow. they don't want to look like they have, they have caved to the pressure that everybody's mm-hmm. feeling right now. Justice Roberts went out of his way in a statement to credit the workforce at the court, describing them as intensely loyal to the institution and dedicated to the rule of law. I'm sure you read this this morning, uh, Greg, you went on to call this a singular and egregious breach of trust. What is this doing inside the court, knowing they have a leaker amongst them? The chief justice has to be torn in a, in a major way. He's both trying to protect the institutional integrity of the court and to say that, um, you know, the vast majority of people don't do stuff like this, and yet there is this, as he put it, uh, egregious breach of trust. Um, yeah. y- y- you know, there have been a number of, of much smaller leaks in recent years. The court has become leakier, uh, and there are plenty of signs that, Uh, relationships within the court are becoming more fractious and this cannot help things here and and undoubtedly within the court there's there are a lot of uh, ill feelings about what has happened here and uh, probably a lot of questions probably the justices are very much wondering where this came from trust shaken we have no reason to believe that this investigation will be made public anytime soon right i mean how would this actually uh, be gone about well, we're really in uncharted territory here. Uh, the, the marshal will look in, into it. Uh, I would imagine that if if they they come to a conclusion, we will get some information. Yeah. Uh, but but I'm really just speculating because it's not like you or I have ever seen anything like this before. So there's not really a roadmap we can expect the court to follow. 
What a day. Uh, Greg, great to have you with us. Greg Store, we couldn't do this without him. Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter. Check your terminal for his byline over the course of this story. And we bring in the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us on a very important day here, Jeannie. Senator Schumer and President Biden, who we just uh, both heard from, are talking about legislation today to codify the right to an abortion. But they don't have the votes for that in the Senate, do they? They do not. But we heard Senator Schumer say today that he wants all senators to go on the record. Yes. Having to vote, you know, for, he hopes, or against that codification. And I think he is right about that politically, because this is a right. I can't tell you how many young women I spoke to on campus today. And these are not, you know, all liberal. They're they're a whole range of, of political, you know, ideologies. And even the tone of this draft, granted it's a draft decision, and the lack of sort of respect for how embedded this right is in the lives and the bodies of women mm. is really troubling to a lot of people. And so I think Senator Schumer and others on Capitol Hill are saying, we want you to go and say that you are going to take this right away from people after half a century. Is that what this comes down to, Rick? The, the Democrats don't really have a lot of options here. No, this is really just rhetoric at this point. They've got to try to make uh, the best they can of it. Everyone was caught by surprise, but Democrats very much in a defensive posture on this issue right now. They have to play catch up. They have not had this as a focal point of their party's push uh, with women voters, especially for quite some time. So all those kinds of political alliances and organizations need to, on their side, really get started. It is interesting that Republicans, certainly in the Senate, haven't used this as an opportunity to say victory for pro-life forces. Hmm. Uh, instead, they are keen to investigate the source of the yeah. leak, which so what do you I don't make think of that any reaction? voters are going to be uh, interested in. Well, I think that they uh, they really do believe you know, that the court um, uh, should have been able to put this uh, out on their own time. And I think they believe that it would have been better later on when there weren't some of these active primaries going on that would distract from, uh, frankly, some of the problems of the of the Biden administration they're having on on economic issues. So I, I just think it was not what Republicans wanted at the time that it was released. Hmm. So I, I think that that ultimately is going to be one of the one of the issues for Republicans. The contrasting uh, responses really have been something here, uh, Jeannie, with uh, as, as we've heard clearly in, in, in not only what we're describing, but in the, the sound that we played for you. And this started with, you know, the hot takes last night on Twitter from lawmakers and a lot of other people, liberals uh, outraged talking specifically about the impact on lives, on policy, Republicans outraged, calling it an attack on the independence of the court. Is, is that where we're going from here? I, I think so. And, and you know, you, the, you know, it's fascinating because you read Alito's draft decision and the crowds outside the court and the people protesting and the noise on Twitter. That's mm -hmm. exactly the reason he says that the court needs to stay out of this, that it's too hot. The court has no role in this. Hand it over to the state legislatures, hand it over to Congress. So in some way, all of the protesting underscores exactly what he is trying to say. And, you know, we heard it today. People like Elizabeth Warren, you know, sounded more emotional 
emotional and angry probably than we've ever heard her before. And I would just add to what Rick said. I think the reason Republicans are focusing on who leaked is because they don't know the impact this is going to have in the midterm. They are set to have a bang up year. They are set to take the Senate, take the House, Mm -hmm. do really well. And now a monkey wrench has been thrown into it in the in the form of this issue of abortion. And if this costs them numbers and even costs them one or both houses, that's something they just, uh, you know, would be stunning at this point because they're set to do well. Well, let's get to that, Rick. The conventional wisdom right now is that this mobilizes Democrats. It certainly increases Democratic turnout, a majority turnout in an off year. Uh, But does this uh, does this change the calculus for this campaign cycle? Sure. Um, uh, It's been well reported that uh, Democratic Party enthusiasm, you know, people willing to vote uh, has been significantly lower than Republicans uh, this cycle. Part of the reason why people think there's going to be so much of a red wave, especially in the uh, in the House of Representatives. That being said, um, uh, this throws a monkey wrench into Republicans ability to potentially get those women suburban voters that have been coming back to the fold in some of these elections we've had lately. Uh, You know, the Governor Youngkin election in Virginia demonstrated that. And so anything that 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 diminishes the number of women voters for Republican caucuses creates danger for Republican candidates in America. We have to have almost as many women as men and uh, and and or at least offset by the same amounts. And and without that, um, some of these races just aren't going to be able to, to get to the finish line. Rick and Jeannie are with us here on the Tuesday edition, a special edition of Sound On as we focus specifically on this story for the hour, the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Uh, Your question to me was, did I debate the contents of Roe versus Wade, the outcome in Roe versus Wade? Do I have this day an opinion, a personal opinion, on the outcome in Roe versus Wade? And my answer to you is that I do not. Well, do I understand that you may overrule it or you may sustain it? Uh, I have no agenda. Can you tell me whether Roe was decided correctly? Senator, again, I would tell you that Roe versus Wade, decided in 1973, is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It has been reaffirmed. The reliance interest considerations are important there. And all of the other factors that go into analyzing precedent have to be considered. It is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. Have your views on whether Roe is settled precedent or could be overturned? And and has your views changed since you were in the Bush White House? Senator, I um, 
said that it's settled as a precedent of the Supreme Court entitled to respect under principles of stare decisis. And one of the important things to keep in mind about Roe v. Wade is that it has been reaffirmed many times over the past uh, 45 years. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe was wrongly decided? So, Senator, I do want to be forthright and answer every question so far as I can. I think on that question, I, you know, I'm going to invoke Justice Kagan's description, which I think is um, perfectly put. When she was in her confirmation hearing, she said that she was not going to grade precedent or give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And I think in an area where precedent continues to be pressed and litigated, as is true of Casey, it would be particularly, um, it would actually be wrong and a violation of the canons for me to do that as a sitting judge. Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett, in that order, responding and not always answering questions about Roe versus Wade in their confirmation hearings. It's important to hear their words, right, on a day when, well, some People are accusing them of lying or misleading the Senate on this issue. There's nowhere else you're going to hear that than right here today on Sound On. Here's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer today on the floor. Several of these conservative justices who are in no way accountable to the American people have lied to the U.S. Senate, ripped up the Constitution, and defiled both precedent and the Supreme Court's reputation. Wow. And so we bring that back the panel for their take on this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Rick, what are we going to do? Hold the justices in contempt of Congress? Well, I don't think you can hold them in contempt of Congress. I think that they all had the back door wide open on these questions as they were going through confirmation. And, and again, uh, it just shows you uh, that part of that confirmation process is not necessarily indicative to what a justice is going to do when he gets on the bench right. and when he or she gets on the bench. So uh, we've had lots of justices change their minds based on uh, lessons and experience they gain on the bench from when they were appointed. So uh, that's just a fact of life. Lifetime appointments liberate people. Uh, and I would say you have a very liberated Supreme Court these days. Well, you know, I'm, I'm kidding about the contempt part here, Jeannie, but like, why are we going here right now? Why pursue this narrative or does that indicate how few options uh, the Democratic majority has at the moment. Uh, you know, you just listen to that montage you just played, and it's quite stunning. These are people who are incredibly well-educated. Mm -hmm. They have, they are law professors, they are judges, they are attorneys at the highest level. The idea that they have no opinion on Roe is absolutely absurd. Everybody has an opinion on Roe, and you don't need to go to law school to have one. And I think I have to say, give Amy Coney Barrett credit. She had yeah. the best non-response following Kagan, which is I'm not going to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. The problem here is not these people necessarily. It's the process. When you have a process where you tell people we're going to parade you before the Senate, if you dare to answer the question the way that you actually think you won't get the job, most people aren't going to give you the answer uh, that, that you want. And so they're not going to give you the honest answer. They're going to bow out and they don't yeah. have a response. And that's what's happened, um, you know, 
ever since people realized what happened to Robert Bork because he was honest and he didn't get the job. So the process is broken. It doesn't work. And the American people are suffering for it. So does this change the whole conversation in future hearings, future confirmation hearings, Rick? And we never know when we're going to get one. Does it change the whole conversation around stare decisis, the idea of precedent? Why does that even matter then? I think uh, uh, we're really confusing what's happening today in the Supreme Court around abortion and any process that has anything to do with confirmation. This is not a confirmation issue. Uh, Members of the Congress, members of the Senate can ask all the hard questions they want on any time they want it. And ultimately, they're an advising consent. And anybody who thought these justices who uh, primarily were appointed by George Bush and, and Donald Trump, we're not going to take on abortion as an issue, whether it was a full uh, takedown of Roe v. Wade or yeah. or some tweak that allowed states to decide themselves. Uh, and we still don't know that for certain uh, would be considered incredibly politically naive, which is why Democrats were so anxious to try and look at court packing as an option. It wasn't because they believed anything they were told yep. in, in confirmation hearings. It was because they knew that this court was going to be active on these issues. And the minute this court took up this case, you knew Roe was in danger. And so we have a lot more to talk new. about with Rick and Jeannie. Hold that thought, Rick Davis. President Biden already struggling with young voters. What effect might this have? Now, we'll look at new research from the Harvard Kennedy School coming up. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. We're fascinated by polls around here, of course as we inch toward November. But on a day like this, they take on new meaning. That's why it's a pleasure to bring in John Della Volpe, director of polling at the Harvard Kennedy School's Institute of Politics, author of the book, Fight How Gen Z is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America. He's joining us from the Milken Conference right now as the Harvard uh, Kennedy School Institute of Politics out with a massive piece of research called simply the Harvard Youth Poll. It's for this season, and it's the 43rd edition. John, it's great to have you with us here. Before we dig into uh, what you were seeing here in this research, does a headline like today with regard to the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade move opinions or move people historically to become single-issue voters in a campaign season like this? I think it does, Joe. Again, thanks for having me. What we found specifically in this research over the last couple of decades is younger people, but I think it's fair to say that older Americans as well vote when they can see a tangible difference of engagement. And sometimes that's a positive, sometimes that's a negative. And what we've seen so far over the last you know 12 hours, 24 hours mm-hmm. around this uh, the document from the Supreme Court is that is that this is likely to be highly motivational for specifically young people who are unsure whether or not they're going to participate because um, they can now see in very tangible ways the difference that engagement makes. And that, I think, will be a significant driver to increase participation, frankly, across um, all, all, all partisan groups in November. Well, that's important. It would run uh, counter to some of the trends that you had been seeing. We're talking 18 to 29-year-olds, John. And, and your poll had found that they believe that political involvement rarely has tangible results. That was up to 36 percent. They think their vote does not make a difference uh, to your uh, to your point just now up to 42 percent. Only 41 percent approve of the job President Biden is doing. All these then could really turn on this news today is what you're saying. 
I think absolutely it could really add some energy, specifically to the one of the places where, up until this point, President Biden has been frankly under underperforming. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we we hadn't we have not seen um, specifically over the last six months the traditional generation gap um, that we would expect from from Democratic office holder, which means that he or she typically receives uh, stronger marks with younger folk, right. folks than older folks. Here, you know, President Biden's approval has been, has been relatively flat across uh, groups. But, Joe, let's also remember that that um, is not what people are voting for in November. People in November are voting for a Democrat versus Republican. Yep. And oftentimes, you know, as we could see also in this in other research, um, the differences are stark between how they rate the president today versus how they rate a Democrat versus a Republican in November. 41% approval, though, is it, that's pretty rough. That could be any old poll that the president is kind of looking at, scratching his head, saying, God, I brought you infrastructure. I got you out of COVID. What <laughs> else do you want here? Uh, I realize we don't have Build Back Better yet, but what is it actually among young people who feel like their vision has not been fulfilled? They're, they're, the promises you hear in many cases that, that, that Joe Biden made on the campaign trail have not been fulfilled. Is that what you're hearing? It's a lot of, I think, expectations, Joe, and, and also and also communication. Generally, yeah, our students wrote a series of questions to follow up, and the general sense, I'd say, is that they view, younger people view the president as being relatively ineffective. You know, that that's, uh, that's uh, bad news. The good news for, 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 for Biden is that they don't necessarily see it in relation to um, a misunder- misalignment on values mm-hmm. or, or something that's more systemic. You know, I think if, if the administration can prove that they're making progress on the issues that young people care about, then I think there's an opportunity to, to turn this around. This is not an uh, unfamiliar place to folks in the Biden world. This is where he was at the huh. end of the 2020 primary. Oh, true. And we know that um, the results were were completely different by November, where almost two-thirds of people under the age of 30 voted for him. I can remember conducting what was uh, billed at one point as an exit interview with Joe Biden in New Hampshire, uh, John, which tells you a lot uh, as he headed for South Carolina. You found overall 40 percent of Americans under 30 prefer Democrats maintain control of Congress. Is that number historically low for young people? Well, it is. Well, you know, it's historic. It's it's low relative to 2018 for okay. sure. So, and I yep. think that's the that's the appropriate, um, uh, you know, uh, election to 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 compare it with. But among those young people who are likely to vote, you know, uh, Democrats move up to 55 percent. So so there is a gap between the likely voters and all young Americans. But um, still. I think that you know, for for the Democratic House, for the for Democrats to to have an opportunity to kind of maintain their their slim hold on the House, that 55 percent number needs to start with a six, you know, in okay. the next poll that we conduct, which will be in the fall. Now, are you constantly uh, rolling here? You've already heard from some people. You said in the last 24 hours. Yeah, we're we're constantly whether it's through the quantitative work we do at the Institute of Politics or mm-hmm. through focus groups or other conversations, you know, and and, and and looking at other data. Of course, we are constantly in touch with younger people. The next official Harvard Youth Poll, the forty fourth, will be out, um, you know, in the the two week period before the next midterm. Got it. I'm I'm deeply curious to see what those numbers are, as I'm sure uh, you are as well. 
Uh, the poll, 2,024 18 to 29-year-olds organized with undergrads from the Harvard Public Opinion Project, super, supervised uh, by this man right here, John Della Volpe. John, it's really great to talk to you again. We thank you for your insights. Joining us live from the Milken Conference. Been a busy place here and glad we could make that happen. We'll reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie weigh in on what we just heard as we also consider this idea of dropping the filibuster once again. But wait, they don't have the votes, I thought. We'll get into that with the panel next. On Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Ocasio-Cortez Sanders ripped cinema on filibuster over abortion. Man, it's getting ugly already here. As Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders reading from the terminal for you here, call on Democrats to challenge one of their own. Senator Kirsten Cinema, when she's up for re-election in 2024. This is not a midterm story. Because of, yes, her resistance to ending the filibuster. This has been a big part of the conversation here today. Ocasio-Cortez tweeting, quote, We could protect Roe tomorrow, but Cinema refuses to act on the filibuster until that changes. She can take a seat talking about women's access to health care. Hold everyone contributing to this disaster accountable, GOP and Dem obstructionists included. She should be primaried. This idea of dropping the filibuster came up in the White House uh, press gaggle today. I call it that because they were on Air Force One on their way to Alabama. Press Secretary Jen Psaki speaking on Air Force One. Here she is. There has been a vote on this. It failed. It did not have even 50 votes, which means even if the filibuster were overturned, there would have not have been enough votes to get this passed. Okay, reality check as we reassemble the panel. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. That is the truth, Rick, right? When this comes down to math, what are we actually talking about here? Yeah, the Democrats can't pass a uh, a uh, fix to Roe because they don't have the votes in their Democratic caucus to do that. And they got to go find a bunch of new Democrats who have an opinion on uh, pro-life that are pro-choice that uh, is going to match what uh, Ocasio-Cortez is talking about. I mean, to, to dump on cinema like that, who, who isn't the course of their problem right now, mm. is, uh, is, is really unexplainable other than the fact that she's got a tough re-election fight. And that may explain her anger today. Well, speak to that uh, for a minute, Rick. You know Arizona politics as well as anybody. Uh, how much of a threat could this be to Kirsten Cinema's career? 
Oh, I don't think uh, I don't think there is a threat to Kirsten Cinema's career right now. I mean, you think about all the things that are going to happen between now and 2024 uh, when she's going to seek reelection. There's already uh, Democrats lining up to, to run against her in the state because of her position on not willing to increase taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that is a much more salient issue in, in Arizona for her than it is against her uh, when she seeks reelection. She's never budged on this uh filibuster deal here, Jeannie. I can't imagine that this would change her mind, but the daggers are coming out here. That's not always a good look. It's not. And, and, you know, uh, I I was very glad Jen Psaki um, was, you know, very cogent and sober about this. The reality is, number one, they don't have the votes, as Rick said, in their own caucus to pass this. Number two, even if they did, if they get rid of the filibuster and if they could codify Roe, if the Republicans take the Senate and the House, which they are likely to do in the fall, that could be overturned just as quickly. That's the argument of people like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema in terms of not approaching filibuster reform. So, you know, it is not as black and white or cut and dry as they, as, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is suggesting, as if we get rid of this, we codify Roe, and that's it. The right could go away just as quickly if the Republicans and when the Republicans take the Congress Her, is the, the statement from Senator Cinema quote protections in the Senate safeguarding against the erosion of women's access to health care have been used half a dozen times in the past 10 years and are more important now than ever unquote uh, that also is the argument she has delivered consistently here Rick that doesn't seem to matter to other members of her party that this can slap back on you that's right. And, and and it will. Right. I mean, the minute you start cracking open uh, the filibuster rule for this, then then it's kitty bar the door. Then it's anybody who wants to uh, pass a tax increase or anybody who wants to change a statute. Uh, but then it just in reverse, uh, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. And so once this genie is out, you've got to watch out as a democracy. It, it helps to erode those institutions that help us govern as a as a, a group of people with common interests. And so uh, all those folks who sit there and wring their hands about, wow, democracy is under assault. Well, then quit talking about in the filibuster, because what the filibuster forces you to do is work together. Mm. Jeannie, what's the next move for the administration here? We heard uh, some brief remarks from the president. Uh, and of course, we heard explicit remarks from Chuck Schumer and Democrats on the Hill who held a news conference today you know, promising legislative action in, in some, you know, talking about the filibuster, not that that was the president. You heard the White House's line on that. But is it going to get to the point where we're not being honest that, that the administration is not being honest with Democratic voters about what's possible? Um, you know, the, listening to what Jen Psaki, that cut you just played, I think she was very honest. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I think the administration is going to use this to make the case they should be making, which is that elections matter. We are in this position because from their perspective, they don't have enough Democrats in Congress. Go to the polls, vote, get them in there, and then we can make these reforms. We can even beat a filibuster. Mm-hmm. So I think they are going to make that argument. And I think that's the right argument to 
make. We're in a democracy. You've got to get people into positions of changing the law before you can change that law. I also think we're going to continue to hear about filibuster reform, but also court packing. We had the Supreme Court Commission put together by the president. I think they're going to continue talking about that. I think they should talk about the exceptions clause. I think they'll talk about a lot of those things. But the reality is you got to vote in the midterm election if you want to see change in Congress. And if you're a Democrat and you want this codified, you got to get enough Democrats in that office. And that means in West Virginia and Arizona, you can't choose progressives because they won't win. When's the march on Washington, Jeannie? I'm asking you seriously. Uh, I I think it's going to be soon, and I think it should. You know, this language of Alito's draft opinion is stunning. You know, at one point he says he doesn't pretend to know how the political system and society will respond to the decision. Reminded me very much of Dred Scott and Roger Taney's argument, we'll just strike down the Missouri Compromise and just see how it goes. And that, of course, walks us into the Civil War. We've been here before with, with the Supreme Court. They've made disastrous opinions in the past. They should be cognizant of what's going to happen next. And for him to say he's not, I think is shame on him. So I think there should be a merch. Rick Davis, the uh, vision of the visuals of a million, maybe more women on the National Mall, maybe this is the biggest march. And I'm this is pure speculation on my part, but we know this is coming. Maybe the biggest display of uh, of, of humans gathering that we've ever seen here in the Capitol. Do, would moments like that change the calculus and the conversation within campaigns, Democratic and Republican in the midterms? Certainly heats it up politically, Joe. I mean, bringing that kind of firepower to the mall is always uh, awesome, you know, from a political point of view. Uh, I would remind everybody that every year since since Roe was decided in the early 1970s, um, there's been a March for Life on January 21st. So it's not like we haven't seen this play out. This is an old, somewhat tired political ploy that everybody has on both sides of the issue to try and use their political power to generate change. I would, I would remind you, too, that, that even though all this has been going on for such a very long time since 1974, that there's been virtually no change in public opinion on the issue of abortion in the last 40 years. And so people are pretty much convinced as to where they're going to be. Yes. And all the marches on Washington hasn't changed it today. Well, so if you're a Republican then being called by Chuck Schumer to vote on this uh, just to make a statement, is that actually good politics for a Republican right now? I mean, obviously, a pro-life Republican, uh, uh, someone who has made this part of their platform is, I'm I'm assuming, going to embrace the opportunity, but maybe not every lawmaker will, Rick. Yeah, I don't think every lawmaker will. And certainly early indications on this are that that there seems to be kind of a, a hesitation to really sort of get the pots and pans and clang them together. Now, look, if the Supreme Court does what this 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 document indicates they will do, there will be massive unrest in states who will now have to decide what their state policy is going to be about abortion. And that is probably what a lot of these members are concerned about, because the last thing they had on their minds was going home at the end of this election cycle and right before a presidential campaign, having legislation in their legislatures or on a ballot initiative Mm -hmm. uh, on abortion in their state. 
All news is local, uh, Jeannie, uh, goes the line here. That's going to be the case with much more attention paid to state legislatures, right, and gubernatorial races because of this. That's right. And, you know, the Guttmacher Institute is saying about 22 to 26 states, um, you know, if this reversal goes forward, are going to have trigger laws, which, which uh, you know, reverse with, with real yeah. reversed. And, of course, we have about 36 governor's races on the ballot. All of those candidates will be asked what their states are going to do. And you talk to people in Texas. They tell you they've been living in a post-row world Mm -hmm. already. And what that has meant for women who don't have the means to travel across the border, you listen to those stories. It doesn't decrease the number of pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies. It increases the amount of stress that these usually poor women are under while they try to negotiate a really difficult process. That's what we're up for in this country if this comes through. And this is day one. Jeannie and Rick, thank you for your honest opinions here and important analysis. My goodness, on this 3rd of May, who would have thought we'd be talking about this at this time even yesterday? Things are changing that fast. That's why we're here on Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.